sets it a little bit to the left. 11 yards shy of the record. Williams breaks a hole. Williams had a record book. Ricky Williams runs to the Hall of Fame. Touchback. Ricky Williams touchdown. Young from the shotgun. Back to throw. Vince looks under pressure. He'll tuck it in run. Vince to the five. Young. Touchdown, Texas. Touchdown, Vince Young. He's done it again. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Hello and welcome into another edition of the Longhorns Country Podcast. My name is Matt Galatson and I will be your host. And today I'm joined as always by my co-host, John Garcia. John, how's it going? It's going well. We're, we're flying by, man. Already November, college football playoff rankings are out. We're starting to look at bowl season and these title game matchups. It's, it's really incredible how fast the season has gone i remember previewing <laughs> previewing texas previewing all these schools so it's uh it's been a wild ride but always fun to dig into it yeah i uh so every as as most of you have probably guessed i'm located in austin and tomorrow is lake travis versus westlake which is the last regular season game for high school um and that is nuts to me because I feel like I just went to the season opener at Westlake to cover, you know, Connor Robertson and and uh, Jalen Greathouse and Kate Klubnick and all the guys I have on that team for you, for, partly for you actually, John. <laughs> yeah, to send you some pictures and stuff. So it's just, it's just crazy how how fast the season has gone by. Um, but we still got a few weeks left in the college football season. We still got quite a bit of time left in the NFL season. So it's not all doom and gloom here. Um, it might be for the Texas Longhorns, though, as they are coming off of their third straight double-digit blown lead and their third ending up in their third straight loss. Um, this one's particularly frustrating because they were so very obviously just a couple of plays away from closing that thing out, and it just slipped out of their hands. Um, John, what, what did you see in that game, and what are your takeaways? I mean, you said it, Matt. This was really in the ball was in Texas's court, uh, really the entire game. I mean, even from the outset, boom, BJ Foster interception, roll right down there, Josh Moore TD. And Baylor was kind of a mess offensively in that first half. Four turnovers, if, if you count the, the fourth down stop. So Texas was absolutely in control, rolling. And then in the second half, it just fell apart. Baylor remembered that they were a run-first team, and Texas just couldn't answer the, the physical onslaught that Baylor brought. Obviously, there were some turnovers mixed in. UT couldn't get the running game going really at any point in the game, and I thought they became one-dimensional, which played into, into Baylor's favor. And obviously, it was a little bit too much to ask uh, against a, a good team like that um, on the road despite having that lead, it was, it was like you said, it was really in Texas's hands to, to shut the door and they just couldn't, they couldn't get to the dagger. It's one thing to have a lead. It's one thing to have a double digit lead. You still have to have that killer instinct to put it out of reach, to put it to a point where the other team says, well, dang, let's, let's regroup for next week. And Texas was ever so close, but they just couldn't, put it away. I didn't know if it was going to be worthy or Robinson on the screen or something. They couldn't figure it out there. 
at the 11th hour and, and Baylor hung around enough to stay in the game, hung around enough for Bohannon to get some of the confidence he probably lost in the first half with a couple of picks. And they just kind of hung around and figured things out. And, and when they, when they clicked for Baylor, there was enough time left to, to, to put the game out of the reach on, on their side of the football. So I, I thought Texas was so close just lacking maybe that killer instinct to close the deal and put it out of reach in the third quarter, as opposed to trying to shuffle the deck and, and hang on late in the game. And then I think that's, that's going to be the difference in between year one under Steve Sarkeesian and going forward. You know, when you recruit your guys and you build a culture that that killer instinct is going to be the cherry on top of, of the mentality of Texas in due time. But in the meantime, it's, it's a disturbing trend to start so well three weeks in a row against three really good teams. I, I want to make sure that's clear, especially against Baylor this past weekend. But still, you, you got you to gotta slam the door when the opportunity is, is there, and, and Texas just could not do it. I'm really glad you brought that up, John, about the, the three really quality opponents in a row because, I mean, listen, that's three top 15 teams that Texas played in a row. And yeah, they lost all three games, but they were also in position to win three games in a row against top 15 teams. So I think that's important for, for Texas fans to keep in mind. And I, look, I'm not going to go on this huge rant about how um, entitled Texas fans are about, about, you know, cause you hear that all over the place. Texas has the entitlement problem and they have this and they have that. And I'm, I'm not doing that here. I, what, what I'm doing is I, I know Texas fans want to win and I know it's hard for them to accept um, difficult losses or losses in general. I don't care who it's to. I mean, the Arkansas stuff, like, yeah, that that seems as we're going forward in the season, that seems a little bit more justified to be upset about. But they're they're still a good football team. Um, the fact of the matter is, Steve Sarkeesian is taking over a program that was very top heavy, didn't have a lot of depth, um, was sort of masked by the fact that they had a quarterback who could lead any group of 22 guy or 21 other guys to a win on any given day. You put that guy on, on, you know, Liberty's roster this weekend and, and, and Ole Miss might've been in trouble. You know, you put that guy on, you know, in any team, name the team, name the opponents. Sam Ellinger was the kind of guy that could mask a lot of those problems. Um, they don't have that right now. And, I think Sark is getting a little bit of an unfair shake in that regard. Um, it always takes, there's, al there's always this kind of, um, you know, transition period when you take over a program where, you know, it, things aren't going to mesh until you get your own system in place, until you get your, your, your own recruits in place, um, until you get your culture in place. And I think that's sort of what Sark is battling right now. The, the, the team is playing hard. They're playing hard for him. They're, I think they're buying in. It, it's just – and Texas is recruiting well. Texas is – they're doing all of the right things except finding the energy for the haymaker at the end of the game. You know what I mean? It's like a boxer that's gone 11 rounds, but he went too hard early in the, in the, in the round or earlier in the match. And his punches just aren't hitting as hard, and he's making a few mistakes. Or here, here's another note, John. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you get in a fight, and every time you throw a punch, it's just like it doesn't do anything to the other guy. 
that that's sort of what's happening to Texas <laughs> at, at the end of these games. It's like they're the plays are like they have the plays drawn up and they're executing what they need to execute for the most part, but it's just not working. Uh, Josh Moore's drop pass in the end zone, his, his, his fumble, his, um, you know, the, the, the ball bouncing off his hands and into, into the Baylor defensive backs hands. Can't remember who got the interception, but all of those little things, they matter in, in the outcome of a game. And Texas is just at that point where they're, they're on the wrong end of, of these things. And eventually they're going to be on the right end of those things as long as everybody sticks with the message and sticks with the program and sticks with Sark. And I think that that is what the hardest thing for Texas fans to come to grasp with is, is they think that since Sark brought came in and he was the number one most targeted coach in the country, and he's supposedly this offensive Messiah that they were, he was just going to come in with his whole new staff, whole new system on both sides of the ball. And they were going to go 11 and one or 10 and two. That never happens. That hit, that has never happened. Nick Saban, Correct. I've said this a hundred times. Nick Saban went seven and six in his first year at Alabama. So it takes time. And I, I think that's one of the things that Texas fans really should keep in mind here as, as we progress through the last three or four games and, and going into a very difficult game at Iowa State. You know, for Saban in that, what was that, 2007? Something like that. So, yeah. You know, I don't think Twitter was invented yet. <laughs> there was no social media was kind of just Facebook. But remember back then you had to be in college to be on Facebook. That was kind of the original, the OG Facebook Man. plan. You had, you had to have a .edu account to get Facebook. So the, the, the clamoring for excellence right out of the gate is I think one of the, the, the big elements of unfairness for any new coaching staff. And it gets magnified, not only because of social media, but because of some of the some of the quick turnarounds we see with bad teams and teams that don't have the resources. Because then it's kind of feel good. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, the coaching staff was the difference. I'm, I'm thinking of a Baylor, you know, just to bring it full circle here. But but again, it wasn't overnight, right? It, it's it's now beyond year one for Dave Aranda and, and, and that staff. And a lot of the other turnarounds we see are beyond year one, typically. And I think that's a good reminder, Matt. We, we're still, this is year one for Sark coming off of the pandemic. How much could you even self-evaluate when he initially took that job? You mentioned Sam Ellinger masking so many of the issues. We're seeing a lot of them now with Texas. Uh, the personnel is there. I think the scheme is good, but it has to click. And, and you're not quite there to where you can overcome something not clicking. In this game, offensively, it was the inability to get the running game going. If, if the best player on the field, which is number five, if Robinson can't get going, how do you expect Casey Thompson to then carry Texas against a very, very good and opportune defense? In Baylor, And even if you do ask Casey Thompson to do it, and he showed signs of being able to do it at times, everyone else has to be great, not just good. You mentioned Josh Moore and the frustrating game that he had. There were, there were missed opportunities in the passing game. And then on defense, I thought, 
I thought Texas played really well on defense for most of this game. You know Baylor's going to run the football to set up the pass. You didn't give up any huge um, passing plays, and I thought that helped keep the the score minimal when Texas's defense was on the field. And you were in position to make plays when they counted most. So it's hard to get on the coaching staff for Keandre Coburn missing a tackle in the backfield with two arms on the running back who spins out, reverses field, and scores from 35 yards out to to create the dagger situation on the Baylor side versus the one we talked about Texas not being able to do on their side. The scheme was there. You had fourth down stops. You came downhill and made plays throughout this game. But you, you miss one tackle, you drop one pass, and all of a sudden a win turns into a loss. A, a, a seven-point lead turns into a tie game. I mean, you, you know the margins for error in college football are, are minimal. So it takes time to eliminate those things. Schematically, Texas is good. They're right there. Recruiting is going to be good. This is a team – I haven't looked at the rankings we put out on Monday, but of the teams in the top ten, I want to say Texas probably has the worst on-field record of those teams. So you're recruiting above your pedigree. You're bringing in better players than maybe your record says you should be able to bring in. And, again, the scheme is right there. It's not perfect, but it's right there. So I say all that to say, you know, just, just pump the brakes a little bit, Texas fans. Is it frustrating? Yes. Do you have a right to be frustrated? Yes. But you're so close. And it's, it's one of those things. Would you rather lose close when you give up a lead or get blown out? Younger me would have said, just blow, just blow it out so I could just be angry and then I could be over it by the time the game is over. But obviously, as you get older, you want to be competitive regardless. And Texas has been able to do that again three top 15 programs. Another ranked program is next on the schedule. This is the gauntlet that we talked about last week that Texas was right in, in the middle of. So, you know, pump the brakes a little bit and, and don't fall into the knee jerk reaction, social media driven polarization of, of everything really, <laughs> even, even something that's supposed to be fun like sports. I, I think this is the right staff. Things are in place and you see, the scheme starting to adjust to the players, but the execution still has to be there, and that can't all be on the coaches. The fact of the matter is there's, what, 85 guys on this roster? Something like that? I can't remember the exact – is 85 now? That's the scholarship number, yeah. Okay, so there's 85 scholarship guys in this roster. Not a single one of them, except for maybe Xavier Worthy – and uh, a couple of the transfers that were brought in were recruited to play in either the offensive or the defensive system that is currently in place. So none of them are going to, or not all of them are going to be a perfect fit. Yeah. Some of them might be a fit, but not all of them are going to be. And that's why recruiting is so important. And that's why it's more important that you see Texas sitting at what are they on your recruiting rankings, John? Number seven for Sports Illustrated? Yeah, top 10. Um, and and I'm, I'm pulling them up now. Yeah, I don't see a team with four losses above them in the rankings. You're talking about Alabama, Georgia, Penn State, Notre Dame. These teams are all rolling, with the exception of Penn State, but they just they had the number one class since the summertime, so that one's a little bit 
of a uh, bit of a smokescreen there. But the point is that is that Texas's reinforcements are coming in. Sark is getting you know his kind of player, and and they're more on the way there as well. That, that exactly. That's why it's more important that they're sitting at number seven in the Sports Illustrated recruiting rankings than what's going on in the field currently. And even what's going on in the field currently, I mean, you could probably count on your hands how many plays they are away from winning all three of these games. I mean, there's 10 plays or less that if those things go differently, we're talking about a whole different record on a whole different thing. And Texas is probably sitting in college football playoff contention. So these are all things that you have to, you have to keep in mind um, as, as we go forward against, um, against, you know, Texas goes into this, this game against Iowa state and it's not going to get any easier, but if they keep doing the things that they've been doing, yes, the last three weeks and all of these losses, they will be in position or can't could be in position to win this game. Um, despite the fact that, you know, Hey, Iowa state is a tough place to play. Brees Hall is a hell of a running back. Matt Campbell is a hell of a coach, but as Sark has shown over the last three weeks, he can out coach these guys. It's just a matter of execution and finishing. And I think that's obviously, I'm not shocking anybody by saying this, that is going to be the message that Texas has to follow going into Iowa state. I agree. And I think you can't lose the same way every time. And, and look, they haven't been the same, right? I mean, the trend is the double digit lead and all of that. But if you look at the games individually, Matt, they've kind of been very different. Obviously Oklahoma is, is, is kind of on its own to me. Because because that was the most extreme change when you had the lead, right? You're talking about an overhaul, a complete quarterback change that, frankly, you probably didn't prepare for. I mean, I don't know what Sark said specifically about that, but there's no way they prepared for a a, a non Spencer Rattler approach there. So that I think that one, you give the most benefit of the doubt to Texas on that one, not only because of the level of talent Oklahoma brings in every year but because that was the most radical change that you had to combat during the game and after the lead was already assembled. Now, there are a lot of similarities between Texas and Iowa State, dependent on the running back, so Brees Hall versus B. John Robinson, a quarterback who is athletic, is mobile, but can that can sometimes hurt him, and talking Brock Purdy. I think there's a there's a little bit there's a little bit of Sam Ellinger in there where where he is he puts so much on his shoulders that it can cause him to turn the football over at times. Um, and again, you're talking about a good defense that has made some big plays, but also been gashed by by weaker opponents at times. So Iowa State has had games where where they were handed turnovers and handed a lead where they couldn't finish as well. So I think cultural wise, this is a very big game for both of these programs. I mean, the whole Matt Campbell buzz was silenced. What week two, week three, right out of the gate by Iowa in a game that Iowa State probably should have won. Iowa was not great offensively in that game, but, but Iowa State turning the football over kept them in it. So 
I think when, when all things are even, when you're talking Texas and Iowa State, which team is more likely to fix the biggest error from the week prior, right? And if you're going to tell me two weeks in a row, Bijan Robinson is only going to be able to run for, what was it, 2.5 yards per carry against Baylor. And again, credit to Dave Aranda and Baylor for that. One of the top rush there, defenses in the country. I hope everybody remembers that. Right, right. right. But there is no way that number will be 2.5 again. Put bet the mortgage on that one. It will not be 2.5. It will be in the fives or better, I would assume. So you're talking about double the yardage per carry. And I think you get Bijan a little bit more active in the, in the, in the receiving game. Only one catch last week against Baylor. So your catalyst had his off day. It's going to happen. And again, you're talking about a premium run defense on top of that, that wanted to make Texas one dimensional. And it did 38 pass attempts is too much for Casey Thompson. And that's not an indication on Casey Thompson. That's how the game went. That will not be the case against Iowa state. Casey Thompson will attempt 30 or less passes. Bijan will have more than 20 touches, which he did not have against Baylor. And I think things will correct themselves with Texas. It's that close. You're talking about five, six plays offensively. And you're talking about executing on defense. Because remember, when the game planning was, was most, was most uh, easily transferable to the field, Texas was great against Baylor. That means the script. How do you come out in the first half and the second half? offensively when you have a game plan and a script we know that's the steve sarkeesian specialty is and i believe texas scored touchdowns on both of those opening drives so when when everyone's dialed in it works the the proof is there it's the adjustments and the execution thereafter where texas has fallen short of late so at some point it's all going to click and i think iowa state affords you an opportunity uh, to maybe see that through. Because uh, you talk about perception being a little unfair, Matt, for Texas at four and four. Imagine at four and five. And I know, you know, Kansas is on is on the schedule thereafter. Um, Kansas State later in the season. I mean, that's all fun, right? We're not worried about UT becoming bowl eligible. But you also don't want to fall to four and five with the the – the keyboard warriors out there just because it's unnecessary pressure and distraction to, to deal with. And I know we'll talk about some of that here in a second, uh, but you can't do it on the field with a loss at Iowa state. This is, it's not desperation mode, but it's close. It's very close. And I think that helps Texas get over the top in, in a, a game later in the day, which I think is a good thing uh, for Texas. It seems like these early kickoffs, have, have had some, some bad mojo uh, for the Horns. And it's all, always harder to do that on the road, even though Baylor was an in-state opponent. Uh, so those things get thrown out the window a little bit when you talk about a night game at Iowa State, um, who, who, again, has, has been the most – one of the most disappointing teams in the country when, when you look back at it. And, and they were humbled last time out by, by West Virginia, which is a team that – defensively has not been able to stop many people. So I think that that should give you much more hope that 
this Iowa State defense is not what the Baylor defense is. And again, even against that Baylor D on script, Texas was really good. So I think there's a lot of signs of encouragement here and the argument to build for UT to, to really be favored in this game is a strong one. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Iowa State's defense is going to be difficult. Um, they have essentially what st- statistically is the top defense in the Big 12. Um, I believe they're third in rush defense, first in pass defense, first in total defense, um, something like that. So um, it'll, it'll be a challenge. I agree with you, Bijan. Uh, I expect him to rebound a little bit. Uh, I don't know, about five yards a carry but it, it should be something close to that. I mean, it's – he look, he's – he is one of the two best running backs in the country right now, even after that game. This uh, this Michigan State kid is also just ridiculous. I don't <laughs> – I don't know how Wake Forest let him get away, but um, that's that's a whole different conversation. But let, let's pause there. We'll um, – we're going to take a break. We're going to pay some bills, and then on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting and about a monkey. So stick around. <laughs> All right, so we're back. Um, John, let's let's talk a little recruiting because uh, as you know, a couple hours before we decided to record this, Texas got a pretty big time commitment. Uh, Jamel Johnson out of out of Arlington, his uh, Seguin High School, I believe. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I should be because that's kind of the area where I'm from. So I, I, I feel bad if I'm not. But uh, Seguin High School, he is a, uh, a guy that comes in at a pretty big position of need given Texas's um, struggles in pass defense so far uh, under Sark. Um, they, they, they have Brian Allen in the class of 2022, and they have a couple more defensive backs, but that's, that's something that they really need to fix and in a hurry. Um, and yeah, 2023 is kind of far away as, as it sits right now, but you love the, you love to see them get those, uh, those defensive backs early and, and in big quantities. So that's a good start. Uh, he is their first commitment of the 2023 class. Uh, they did have Ruben Owens, Ruben Owens decommitted. And so this is a pretty good foundation piece to kick that thing off. Tell us, uh, what we need to know about Jamel Johnson and sort of the, uh, impact he could have going forward i think this is a strong foundational piece matt not only because as you mentioned he fills a position of need at the safety spot he's an in-state kid it's a strong win based on his offer list he had offers from just about everybody that you can think of so all all of those things are pretty easy to see Uh, but when you start looking at the type of kid he is he's one of these potential flag bearers for the class of 2023, a guy who seems to be Texas through and through. You know, this was, was not a surprise verbal commitment in terms of where he went on Thursday morning. So now you can start to galvanize that group. And, and there's really one of two ways you can galvanize a young prospect group. It's either with the quarterback, which um, again, everybody knows who the top target is there. And if it's not the quarterback, it's an in-state kid who can kind of just be there all the time and help. I look at A&M and what Bobby Taylor II has been able to do in this 2022 cycle. Um, That's exactly what I was thinking. There's, you need, you need, you know, (laughs) you need that, that Homer almost, right? You need that guy who's going to just 
help you out because there are no restrictions against kids recruiting kids. All the restrictions are with, with coaches recruiting. And don't underestimate the power of, of the peer. Uh, the pandemic taught us that these kids are more aware than they've ever been. Recruiting has started earlier than it ever has. So the impact is greater than, than we've ever really seen because they've got group chats, they are connected, they're aligning their visits to go together in order to, to help be an extension of the coaching staff. So I think Johnson could be one of these types for Texas. Um, and then again, priority position player as a secondary prospect, 6'1", 180 pounds, a cerebral kid. I think on the field, he could be your play calling safety. When you talk about importance and again, referencing his communication skills on, on the field and, and in recruiting, I think that's a very important spot. Um, you know, continuity with your secondary is more important than it's ever been because these offenses are so wide and it's so spread out and the assignments have become more complex because you're having to deal with more receivers and pass catchers than you've ever had to deal with. So you're playing cover two on this side, cover four on this side, and, and to be on the same page is, is just essential uh, to being a successful and or good defense. He comes from the Dallas area, as you mentioned, plays against good competition and plays both ways, which again speaks to his overall football IQ and ability. You love to see two-way players um, go to your school because they just have a little bit better of an understanding of, of what needs to happen. So I think both from a positional standpoint and from a potential class flag bearing standpoint, Johnson was a really nice get for Texas. It is time to look at the class of 2023. So those schools that don't have commitments yet are, are going to start to try to maneuver themselves to get in position to say, Hey, like we need, we need some juice in that class. So I think, you know, after the whole Owen situation, this is a, a pretty darn good start. Yeah, and you, you want to build momentum in recruiting, not just in the 2022 class, but you kind of have to go forward. You got to you got to start getting. I mean, A and M's been doing it. Uh, Oklahoma's been doing it. All your rivals are doing it. They're getting that 2023 class kicked off, and you're lagging a little bit behind there. So it's. I think it's very important that they they got a good foundation piece there. Um, you know, obviously there's. There's all the Arch Manning talk about 2023, but there's a handful of kids in there that, um, you know, you, you need to make sure that you secure that you're in big battles with. And I think Jamel Johnson was one of those guys. Uh, he's He's got offers from everywhere, Alabama, A&M, Oklahoma. Um, everybody wanted this kid. Sark got him. So that's a really good start there. Um, the other thing here is that, you know, Secondary depth is just so important. Um, we, we've seen how much the Texas secondary has struggled in general this season, but I, I think that people, it, were there an, an injury to B.J. Foster or Josh Thompson or Deshaun Jameson uh, or Brendan Schooler, there is not a lot behind them, and those guys are already playing a lot of snaps. So it's, it's, it's very important to build those positions in the secondary. And as you mentioned, having a cerebral guy who can be sort of your play caller in the secondary, that is invaluable. Um, and I also, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned Bobby Taylor because 
Bobby Taylor, we, we got to know him a little bit at the opening uh, this summer in Los Angeles. And he is a, um, he, he is a, he's an interesting kid. Uh, he, he's very charismatic. Uh, everybody's kind of drawn to him. And even the coaches there were, were, were very drawn to him and, and his personality. I think that's a very important thing to have in a recruiting class. Um, you know, Texas kind of has that already in the 2022 class and Malik Murphy, but he's not an in-state kid. So it's a little bit different of a dynamic uh, because there's, he can't do as many things as a guy like Bobby Taylor can do being a Texas kid that, you know, from out there in California and, and Jamel Johnson sort of can, can do some of those things for 2023. And if they're able to get, you know, a Ruben Owens, a Jonte Cook, added to that 2023 class. Those are also similar type guys who, who are very um, outgoing, personable, um, charismatic kids who can sort of help you or help the coaching staff, I should say, um, build that 2023 class in, in terms of um, not just connections, but hype and social media and all, all those different things that, that go into recruiting these days. But um, you know, it's, it's an interesting dynamic for sure. I mean, recruiting has changed so much over even the last couple of years and, and dating all the way back to, um, you know, when, when, when you and I started in, in this, uh, this crazy college football coverage world. So, um, Jamel Johnson, certainly a great start. Yeah. Great start in state, all the, all the things you want, if it's not going to be the quarterback. Uh, so I, I think this is a really nice and timely get, for Texas. I know they're going to finish well in 2022. I think there's a there's a chance that UT finishes in the top five in, in the 22 cycle. So I think that will spur momentum towards 2023 as well. Remember, you know, you mentioned Steve Sarkeesian is known as, as this, this great play caller and all that stuff. Pretty darn good recruiter too. And we're about to see his first round of in-home visits for this 2022 class. So some of these big battles left in the state of Texas alone, whether you're talking Evan Stewart, Dewberry, uh, guys like that, Omario Board, Denver Harris, Texas has to grab one of these. I mean, really, those four are the elite of the elite four. Evan Campbell as well. Did you Devin mention Campbell? Campbell? Yeah. I yeah, I said Dewberry. Outside of the state, obviously, you know, you go towards an Ernest Green, which you know, you win that one, you're, you're beating. Beating Georgia and Ohio State for a priority target would say a lot, especially when he's not a Texas kid. So the Ernest Green recruitment, I think, is important uh, for Texas. But you've got two in-state linemen who are, for us, ranked higher <laughs> and a little bit more um, polished toward, towards what they are going to play in college in terms of the position. So I think O-line is going to take care of itself. Kyle Flood is an underrated recruiter. Uh, and again, I think Sark's in-home visits are going to play big at the end of the day. And, and they will if you're going to grab a second quarterback as well, which is something that Malik Murphy is aware of. So I think 22 is going to have a nice, a nice finish to it. And I think there's top five upside for this Texas class. And when you talk about, again, recruiting relative to the on-field performance, Texas is going to – if you created a graph – of, of those disparities, Texas will be number one in the disparity in terms of how highly they're ranked versus maybe their record on Saturdays. And I think that 
tells you the kind of ceiling you can have as an organization and how important it is to, to recruit 12 months a year. Because some of these other teams that are sliding beyond Texas and Penn State, and who knows what Penn State's class would look like in a month if and when James Franklin's out of there, you know, there's not a whole lot of correlation elsewhere. So it, it says a lot about your program and the future of, of what kids and the future players think of, of what your program will be. So fun finish ahead in 2022, but you can't ignore 23. And this is a good tangible example to say that Texas is, is not doing that. I'm glad you mentioned uh, Cam Dewberry and, and, and we talked about Devin Campbell could, because both of those guys are coming in for a, for a visit uh, this fall. I mean, this fall and over the next couple of weeks, um, look, if who would have thought the Kansas weekend would be the one, (laughs) right? Exactly. And look, Sark was actually asked about this in a, in uh, the Monday press conference by, I can't remember who asked the question. It was, it was, it was one of the, I think it was one of the Austin American Statesman reporters might've been Brian Davis, but he was asked, you know, Hey, you guys only have two offensive lineman uh, commitments so far in the 2022 class. Is that something that you guys are looking to build up? And Sark responded, well, simply yes. Um, They could, he said they could have four or five guys committed already, but they're, they're not just handing out commitments to get commitments. They want to make sure that they get the quality guys that they want. And I think that's very important because it sort of signals, hey, we we are not just going to give these spots away. You know, we are targeting. And I think Devin Campbell was specifically in Sark's head at that point. I don't have any proof of that. But Devin Campbell is the kind of guy that this offensive line needs to have injected into it over the next year or two. He's – I mean, I'll let you describe him to, to – uh, to our listeners because you're better at that stuff than I am, but he, him and Cam Dewberry and, you know, Ogbo and Ernest Green, like they, those are the guys that they, they need to get, I think at least two of those guys in this class, because right now, yeah, they've got Connor Robertson. They've got um, uh, Hudson from Frisco. So those guys are, those guys are pretty good players, but they need that star um, offensive lineman because look, if the, if there is one weakness to this Texas team that you could, that you could point out, you only got to choose one, obviously there's multiple, but if you had to pick one that, that needs the most improvement, it's probably the offensive line. So having uh, Ernest Green and Ogbo in for the Oklahoma state game, and then Devin Campbell and Cam Dewberry for, for uh, I believe the Kansas game, that's very, very big. And um something that they really need to capitalize on. Tell, tell us, tell everybody the kind of player that Devin Campbell is real quick, just so they can get a picture. Well, he, this is how good he is, right? Okay. So in the preseason SI 99, which is our ranking of the top 99 prospects, exactly what it sounds like. He was going to be high up regardless. The reason he wasn't even higher. I mean, I believe he's like number 20 in America, regardless of position. The reason he's not higher is because, we're still on the fringe of the position projection. So for us, he's ranked as the number one interior O-lineman in the country. So guard, center, guard, right? Anything on the interior. But it doesn't mean he doesn't have tackle upside. 
And that was kind of the conundrum with us just in terms of how high he was going to be ranked because we initially had him as a tackle in the pre, you know, pre-release deliberations. We had him as a tackle. He was, I think the number three tackle, but we just kind of thought his floor was a little bit higher at guard just because we hadn't seen enough. Well, you watch his senior tape, which is obviously still ongoing. We feel a little bit better about Campbell as a tackle projection. And I think that's going to emphasize how important a recruit this is. If you're talking about a kid who at worst is the number one interior offensive lineman in the country, and at best is maybe the number two or three tackle in the country, that, that, there's no other prospect in that spectrum, Matt, that we're looking at. Everybody else is kind of locked into their position in terms of, you know, where they're at. So we're so close towards swinging him back over to tackle that now he'll be right there in that Elijah Pritchett range as the number one offensive tackle. He'll be right there behind him. Um, so he can play all five spots on your offensive line. We're more confident that he could play left tackle than we were in August when we finalized that preseason 99. And, and that may be reflected come January in the final 99. And we're going to get a, a much closer look at him uh, the rest of the way and during the postseason in the all-star circuit. So we're going to get a good on good angle there to solidify that decision. But my point is he's the only O-lineman in consideration for basically number one, wherever he lines up. So that should tell you how important he is not only in this country, but positionally wherever he goes, because as a young player, you, you have more value if you can move around. Right. I look at, I mean, look at A&M starting two true freshmen out of position for the most part, right? I mean, Ruben Feathery was a classic left tackle. He's playing right tackle. Bryce Foster was more of a strong side guard. He's playing the weak side guard. He can play center down the line. Those guys came in with versatility, and they're able to play immediately because of that, because obviously you're going to play where the team has a need first. Alabama's always done this, right? These, these bona fide left tackles who get drafted – always start as a guard or they start as a right tackle. And Evan Neal is going to be the latest one come, come this spring. So you need guys who can play all over the field, not just talented at one spot. And I think that's what, that's what Devin Campbell can be wherever he goes. So if you can get, get him at Texas, now all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who will impact this on-field product next year. And the beauty of it is that I couldn't tell you which position he will start off at. And that's a great thing for Texas and Sark and Kyle Flood because we know that there is a weakness there and, and there's going to be some kind of role, whether it's the, the left guard or the right tackle, whatever it is, Campbell has the opportunity to play that spot. So he's, he's probably the most coveted, uncommitted offensive lineman in America for a lot of reasons, but for us, that's why he's ranked as such. Okay, so... We're going to change gears one final time and we're going to talk about something that um, (laughs) is probably one of the more interesting stories I've heard in a long time. Um, We were going to talk about the Josh Moore stuff a little bit, but that has sort of smoothed out. It sort of, it was, it kind of ended up being this whole other overblown thing as, as can tend to happen in today's day and age with Twitter. But Jeff Banks, had a very interesting Halloween, John. <laughs> I'd um, say so. 
I'm not really sure where to go with this or how far we should get into it. We won't talk about it for very long, but here's the basis of the story as far as we've been able to gather it. So Texas special teams coordinator Jeff Banks has a girlfriend who is also a dancer. Um, we're going to keep it you know, PG here for the time being. She's a dancer. Oh, she is an artist. I mean, let's let's go there. It, it's not just about being PG. <laughs> she is she is a performer. Exclamation point. She is. She's been featured on shows such as Jerry Springer. Um, she has. She goes by the name. Her stage name is Pole Assassin. Um, and she one of her one of her acts is she performs with a, uh, a monkey. The same kind of monkey that is, uh, is Marcel from Friends. I don't know if anybody is old enough to have seen Friends that's listening to this. Hopefully you are, because then I won't feel as old. Um, this monkey is kept in an enclosure on the other side of the bank's property from where they were throwing their Halloween little trick-or-treat area you know where they had that whole thing up allegedly this monkey attacked trick-or-treater and uh the trick-or-treater was injured i believe the trick-or-treater is okay but it was a obviously very horrific and uh you know terrifying experience for a child being attacked by a monkey so um, Miss Thomas, whose name is Dan, her name is Danielle Thomas, took to Twitter to. Uh, I'm trying to be as diplomatic about this as I can without laughing. She I see. Took, I see. <laughs> she took to Twitter to defend her monkey and <laughs> stated that the kid was trespassing and was not supposed to be in the area, and I guess stuck his hand, his or her hand, into the cage and bothered the monkey, and the monkey was just defending itself. And then she promptly, I mean, and she had interactions with like guys from Barstool, Barstool and all this other stuff. She promptly deleted said Twitter account. And this whole thing took the nation by storm. It was all over the timeline. Guys like Dan Wolken and, and Pat Forty were commenting on it. It got on to, I mean, the SI.com, like it, it, it was everywhere. And I don't know where we're, where we go with this, John, but I guess my first question for you is how is Sark dealing with, do you think he's dealing with this distraction in house? And what do you think was going through his mind when he saw all of this going down? Well, I know first he was like, please let that kid be okay. <laughs> because the last <laughs> thing, because then, because then if, if the kid's not okay, you know, it can just balloon up. And, and again, we talked about the public reaction and, and honestly, the public influence in some of these things is, is really hard to overcome in, in a lot of, of aspects. I mean, heck, Tennessee was going to hire Greg Schiano until they saw the Twitter storm of disapproval from the fans. I mean, it's crazy how important this stuff has become. So naturally, Halloween, it's kind of a slowish week. And of course, since that point, by the way, nothing has been slow in sports. It's been 
chaos mm-hmm. since since Monkey Gate. Um, <laughs> but I think you know, obviously, Stark was like, "Look, I need I need this kid to be okay," and he is, which is great. But beyond that, what what can he say? What can he do? And I know today he said it was a personal matter, which I I actually agree with because what does that have to do with Texas football? Really, really nothing. Um, so I, I think you can brush this under the rug, given that the kid, the kid is okay and that it was just kind of a misunderstanding. It's just bizarre because of her occupation and the fact that the monkey is a part of her occupation and also lives in an enclosure in the backyard. I saw the deleted video where she is kind of explaining, hey, this is where kids were and this is where they were not supposed to be and this is the enclosure. I get it. Uh, You kind of had to navigate in a creative way to get to the monkey. You also mentioned, by the way, that the monkey was an emotional support animal, which is a whole other story in and of itself, but continue. Hey, look, if your emotional support animal can help you get paid or and or collect the payments as they come in, I, that's a two for one right there. I, I don't I'm not mad at that. Um, but look, really, the first thing I thought of was I hope the kid's OK. And then the second thing I thought of was who is better at their job? Pole Assassin or Jeff Banks? Ooh. And I, I don't have that answer. I don't have that answer. So. That you talk about a power couple, and this is this is down the road here, but uh, this is unique, and and you know, look at playing devil's advocate here. This gives Jeff Banks a little bit of street cred. This gives Jeff Banks a little bit of the ability to resonate with with young folks, right? It's funny, it's off script, and it, it's kind of bizarre, and and that brings more attention to Texas. And at the end of the day, it's like, Hey, you know, Jeff Banks is, is a regular guy and uh, he just gets into some irregular things at times. So I think it's, it's going to be kind of laughed at going forward, which is a good thing. I mean, we need, we need all the lightheartedness we can get in, in these times. Um, so I, I think it's, it's not a distraction. It's more of a, a funny footnote um, especially that given that everybody's okay, but I think there's like an investigation going on with animal services. Like it's, it's a little, it's a little much for me, but like, I don't think this affects Texas football unless, you know, something comes up in the off season or in recruiting, but I, I think it's no big deal, but it's definitely funny to talk about. And it was a nice aside from the usual doom and gloom of, of the, the non-football sports world where it's about money and it's about controversy and all this stuff. Uh, so I enjoyed the uh, derailment. Uh, and I hope most people did because that's what it should have been. Yeah. And I think if, if it affects Texas football in one way, it's that um, it's going to be a, just that little bit much harder for schools like Washington State who, um, you know, ha- have been connected with Jeff Banks in terms of a head coaching replacement. It's just going to be that little bit much harder for them to justify that to their school president and their, <laughs> and their, their boosters. That's great and all for that Texas. Stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's, it's good for Texas. Hopefully maybe it, it for them, it, it helps keep him around a little bit um, because he, look, he's one of the top assistants in the country and he gets paid like it for a reason. He yes. is phenomenal um, recruiter, all of that. Yeah probably the best special teams coordinator in the country. Uh, I, 
you know, the, the way he recruits, the way he does everything inside of the program is, um, is really, really impressive. So you, you hate for him that he's just having to deal with all this stuff because he's just settling into a new home at Texas and things have been, uh, things have been going well for him on the recruiting trail as we expected. Um, but you know, as, as you said, it's, it's, it's just kind of a lighthearted situation now, especially that the kid's okay and all that stuff. You, um, but don't lose them. Don't lose to Iowa state because well, don't lose to Iowa state, a, especially on a special teams blunder. <laughs> right. There's going to be a, some kind of monkey pun involved here, whether it's the poster or the tweet or whatever it is. Don't, you know, there's going to be a monkey in around kind of, uh, troll game that is going on so the moral of the story is this puts more pressure on texas to execute better which they will and now in the texas lore monkey gate will be part of the reason things turned around in austin Greece goes bananas that's going to be the tagline if, if texas oh loses God. uh <laughs> now you also kind of you're also kind of interested to see what the iowa state crowd's going to do with all this stuff it's a night game people are going to be drinking all day um, probably wearing banana costumes and monkey costumes and holding up signs and all that stuff. So it, it's, it, uh, it should be a lot of fun, but um, all right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Longhorns country podcast. Uh, make sure to like rate and subscribe on all your favorite platforms and make sure you check out longhorns country for all the latest analysis about your Texas longhorns. Uh, John, tell them where they can find you. Well, besides on this here podcast, yeah, you can find us across the SI network, si.com slash college, uh, free football and basketball recruiting goodies for you uh, every day. And uh, yeah, we just released some new class rankings, Texas on the way up and uh, presumably we'll continue to make that trek up uh, going forward. So check it out, si.com slash college. All right. Well, thanks for listening and we will see you maybe tomorrow, but probably in in a recap of the Texas Iowa State State game early next week. But uh, we'll see you next time. Yes, sir. We'll be back. Yes, sir. Bye. 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 Bye.